Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, we are so excited to be with you today. It feels like it's been a little while since we've been behind these microphones. And uh, we have a topic today that we think is going to be awesome. It's going to be really beneficial, although at the outset, you may not think so. (laughs) Today, we're going to talk about the hows and whys of teaching our children service. And at first, I was kind of like, "Eh, that might sound boring, but... I promise if you guys hang with us, it's going to be a great discussion. And I think by the end, you're going to be really excited to do a lot of service and look outward with your family. Well, and I think part of it is because, yeah, serving others doesn't sound super exciting to a teenager. But what we really want to get into today, not only some key doctrines, but some research that's been done showing why, you know, having our, our youth, our children serve and help other people, why that's so important to their character development to their psychological and emotional development their health and well-being actually (laughs) yeah overall well-being in fact one of the things that we're fighting so much today we'll talk more about it in a minute but we are fighting selfishness at every level right in marriages yeah vanity you know i think the whole culture today is you do you you know like we're we're being taught that it's building drilled that whatever feels good to you that's what you should do It reminds me of the scripture in uh, the New Testament in Timothy, where the very first thing Paul says is that in the last days, men will become lovers of their own selves. Mm. And we live in that day, don't we? Right. So the first great commandment is to love the Lord with all of our heart, might, mind, and soul. And the second commandment is like unto it, that we should love other people as we love ourselves. But I think today we live in an age where we forget that first part. (laughs) We forget to love others. We just love ourselves. Right. And so, and I think we really have to be vigilant these days is teaching our children, our grandchildren, our families to look outside ourselves and to love others. Like, right. And it's not just out of duty, right? The reason, part of the reason why we love others is there's great joy and happiness that we bring to other people, but also us, right? I mean, teenagers who love others, and serve others are happier. It's just a fact. Yeah, let's jump into this. (laughs) (laughs) So here's Elder Maxwell, and I think this his statement is going to be really helpful to us, but he said that a prominent feature of the natural man is selfishness, the inordinate and excessive concern with self. Selfish is much more than an ordinary problem because it activates all the other cardinal sins. It's the detonator in the breaking of the Ten Commandments. And then this is the quote of the day. He said, Thus, in all its various expressions, selfishness is really self-destruction in slow motion. Now, why that's not a, a on a billboard or a bumper <laughs> sticker, I don't know. But that's such a great statement that selfishness is destruction in slow motion. So, so what's fighting against these teenagers today and our children? What's, what's in the culture that's pressing on them so hard that's keeping them maybe from serving and thinking of other people first? I don't know. What do you think? I think a lot, I mean, has to do with social media. You know, they, they're they seeing these influencers, they're being taught, like we just said, that 
you know, it's all about you. Right. That they see these people that are rich and famous for literally doing nothing <laughs> for <laughs> modeling clothes or for cooking or for traveling the world or whatever they're influencing. Right. And they just see money, they see power, they see fun, they see adventure, and that's what they want. You know, the, right. the youth nowadays, they um, maybe aren't working. You know, they don't work outside the home, but I know a lot of kids that don't work inside the home. Right. I I just think, like Elder Oak said, that our young people today are being amused to death. Yeah, our children today are growing up with so much affluence and right. freedom and prosperity and money that they these kids don't want for anything. Sure. And as I was thinking about the pride cycle in the Book of Mormon, you know, that President Benson taught us over and over. I'm like, where are we as a culture and a society and a world in this pride cycle? And it kind of makes me nervous <laughs> and kind of scared because we haven't had wars. We haven't had famines. We haven't had pestilence. We haven't had enemies. You know, we've had complete prosperity over the last couple generations and i mean even during covid people are still going to lake powell you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah and they're just sitting home watching netflix all day and playing on social media it's not like we were we're not looking under rocks for food right or... so um i think a lot of that has to do with why our children are being raised in a society of just looking towards me 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 and what i want and you know and not looking outside themselves so they live they live in that culture among their peers but also, I don't know if in many cases their parents are expecting them and teaching them uh, to do things that would get outside of themselves that often. So let us share some statistics with you for a minute. You know, one of these huge trends that really is impacting our youth is just how much time they spend on their phones, right? And so a high all school... All screens, right? All screens, right? Yeah. High school seniors will spend an average of two... And a quarter hours a day just texting. They'll spend two hours a day on the internet, an hour and a half on electronic gaming, an hour and a half, or sorry, half an hour on video chat. Now I'm going to quote, we're quoting Jean Twinge for a minute. And if you're not familiar with her book on iGen, why today's super connected kids are growing up less rebellious, more tolerant, less happy, and completely unprepared for adulthood. We recommend this book for all of you, but here's what she says. This totals to six hours a day with new media. And that's just during their leisure time, considering that teens spend about 17 hours a day in school, sleeping and on homework. Nearly all of their leisure time is now spent on new media, she said. Isn't and that, that crazy? Yeah, and what's scary to me is that's an average. There's a lot of people, that, or a lot of youth and children that are spending more time than that. And, and adults, how are we doing on this? I think we all need to check ourselves also because I think we as adults can get caught up in spending so much frivolous time on screens that we are not modeling good behavior for our children. Right. In fact, one researcher said that teens are now putting in about nine hours a day on media. She said that's more time than they typically spend sleeping, more time than they spend with their parents and teachers. And that does not include time at school. This is just on their own time. And once again, I think what we would say is, what is it on social media or media in general that would make them a better person, that would improve their lives, and that would inspire them to help other people? And my guess is probably not much. Yeah, because I think all social media does is it just... It's just a constant flow of what, oh, I want that or I need that or watching other people succeed. And and it just creates this me, me, me culture. Right. 
I think what's really interesting is that just this generation has more material things, more access access to information, uh, more toys, if you want to say it that way. And yet research shows over and over again that this is the most depressed and anxious generation we've ever had. And I think, you know, we, we talk doctrinally here for a minute. We know that there are great scriptures that talk to us about selfishness. The scriptures in the New Testament, the love of many will wax cold in the last I mean, one of the signs of the times is the is that the love of many will wax cold but listen to president hinckley for a minute going back to him he said that it's selfishness which causes most of our misery misery and that truly great men and women resolve to yet dedicate a part of their lives and time to those in distress that helping hands can lift someone out of the mire of difficulty and then this great statement that generally speaking the most miserable people I know are those who are obsessed with themselves. And by and large, if we complain about life, it's because we're thinking of ourselves. I've just found that to be true. I, I just, meeting people and seeing people over and over again, I can truthfully say with a little authenticity here that the most miserable people I know for sure are people that are selfish, that are people that are narcissistic, and the people that are obsessed with themselves. Since we're talking about President Hinckley right now, it reminds me of that awesome story, which I think most of us have probably heard, but I think it's it's so great we need to re retell it. But right. about when he was a new missionary serving in Preston, England, and Elder Gordon B. Hinckley was facing a lot of trial at the time. He was sick when he arrived in the mission field, and he quickly became really discouraged because of the opposition of the missionary work there. And at a time of deep frustration, Elder Hinckley wrote in a letter to his father that he felt he was wasting his time and his father's money. A little while later, Elder Hinckley received a copy or received a reply letter from his dad. And it said, Dear Gordon, I have received your recent letter. I have only one suggestion. Forget yourself and go to work. He said earlier that morning during scripture study, Elder Hinckley had read in the Bible, whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. With my father's letter in hand, Elder Hinckley said, I went into our bedroom in the house at 15 Wyndham Road, where we lived, and got on my knees and I made a pledge with the Lord. And I covenanted right then that I would try to forget myself and lose myself in his service. I just love that story. If we're talking about serving, putting other people first. That was a great lesson that Elder Hinckley learned on his mission at that point. I think it's a great lesson for all of us, right? What a great story to teach our children is, but that applies on so many levels. And know? what a great way just to live our lives in general is to think of other people first before ourselves. And there's where the happiness lies, I think, that, yeah. that this generation may be missing in a lot of ways. So how about, okay, so let's contrast that story that you just shared from President Hinckley with the opening story in Jean Twinge's book, iGen. And here's what she talks about. Athena, she's 13 years old from Houston. She says she spent most of the summer hanging out by herself in her room with her phone. And then she said, I'd rather be on my phone in my room watching Netflix and spending time with my family. That's what I've been doing most of the summer. I've been on my phone more than, uh, than I've been with actual people. That's just the way our generation is, she says. We didn't have a choice to know any life without iPads or iPhones. I think we like our phones more than actual people. Oh, that's so sad. <laughs> and then Jean Twinge in writing that, you know, says, iGen has arrived. And then uh, a little bit later in the book, she says, 13 year old Athena told me that she and her friends are often on their phones 
when they're at home. I've seen my friends with their families. They don't even talk to them. They just say, okay, okay, whatever, while they're on their phones. They don't pay attention to their family. Athena has spent a lot of time by herself lately after her summer of Netflix, texting, and social media hold up in her room. My bed has like an imprint of my body on it. Mm-hmm. So that's sad, right? But <laughs> anyway, but it kind of, it, it, I think it depicts in some ways a generation that has disconnected itself from from others humans right i mean well just listening to that sad story i mean it's not a wonder now that our children are struggling with social skills right now and all the skills of communication and being able to call people and deal with people right um it kind of reminds you of what what we talked about last week on our podcast is preparing these children for missions and adulthood and life and all those kind of things but right um, Julie B. Beck gave a great talk. It's a little old. It's 2009, but it's called Teaching the Doctrine of the Family, where she teaches that the youth of the church have insufficient and underdeveloped social skills, which are impeding them in even forming eternal families. Like these kids don't even know how to date, how to talk to each other, how to socialize, right. except unless they're behind their screen. Sure. Um, she said they all have so- cell phones. She, has, she said she hasn't been to a country in the world. And this was back in 2009, right? where every young person doesn't have a cell phone in their hand, which is probably even <laughs> way higher today. Right. She said they all have a cell phone and they all have an email address. They're getting increasingly adept at talking to somebody 50 miles away or further, but less able to carry on conversations with people in the same room. Yeah. And then she said that makes it difficult for them to socialize. And then we wonder why they're having a hard time in the mission field, knocking on doors or talking to people, you know, that sure. sharing the gospel. <laughs> so wanting their companion to do that, right? Yeah. Or something. <laughs> so, so along with that, so that was Julie Beck. Uh, and by the way, that's easy. You could Google that talk, Teaching the Doctrine of the Family. It'll come right up. Um, But this is then from Elder Ballard at a CES devotional a little more recently, but he said, when smartphones begin to interfere with our relationships with friends and family, and even more importantly with God, we need to make a change. And he said, for some of you, that adjustment may be slight. For others, it may be significant. And he said this, I am concerned with that excessive text messaging, Facebooking, tweeting, and Instagramming are replacing talking. Talking directly to one another and talking in prayer with our Heavenly Father and thinking about the things that matter most in life. Too often young people find themselves in the same room with family or friends but are busy communicating with someone not present, thereby missing an opportunity to visit with those nearby. When this happens, maybe you need to leave the room and send a text message back to them to get their attention. (laughs) Anyway, And then I love this, he said, what I have learned most in my life came from listening to those with great experience those who had lived longer and learned many important things that I needed to know. He said, please take advantage to visit and talk with your parents, aunts, uncles, and grandparents while they're still with you. And that's kind of getting off into another area, I understand. But, you know, Janie, I just I just love just a few nights ago when I walked into our family room and there you were with five or six of our daughters and you guys have been talking for a while. And, and I just had this thought of that kind of communication just doesn't happen anymore the way that it should where in the old days as we were growing up that was one of our memories i'm sure with our parents as they had another set of adults in the room and they were just talking right right i mean that's what people did back in the day you know <laughs> then they before they had this is they would talk and share and pass down experiences and stories from their life and i think this generation is really missing out on all that 
and that's why I really feel like it's so important to set limits in our homes on cell phone unit usage that right. after you know during dinner times or family time or after 10 o'clock they go in a basket you know or wherever in mom and dad's room so that the children have downtime how are they ever going to hear the spirit how are they ever like he said in here um talk to heavenly father or think about things that matter most in their life if they're just always always on their phone and again as parents we need and adults we all need to check ourselves we do the same thing every time our phones beep every time our phones buzz we grab it and look at it and I think we are modeling this for our children. And we need to take time to put our phones down during special time, sacred time, family time, dinner times, all those sacred things that we all need to, you know, make that space in our homes so that we can hear the spirit. We can talk to each other. We can communicate connect one-on-one and, and build connect. Memories and build memories. Yeah, emotional bonds and things like that. And I think that is a huge tool of Satan right now is our screens and phones. I think it's one of his biggest tools for sure, no question about it. And again, one of them being that it makes us all selfish and self-centered and we aren't looking outward. Right, hard to notice others when you're looking down all the time at a screen. Now, for those of you that are really interested in Gene Twinge's book, and I promise we are not getting any commissions for this. (laughs) I know we brought it up a few times. (laughs) Right, but this is on page 78 of her book. Uh, but the research is incredible that those teens who spend more time on screen activities are more likely to be unhappy, uh, and those who spend more time on non-screen activities are more likely to be, likely to be happy. It's just super <laughs> simple. And she said there's not a single exception. All screen activities are linked to less happiness, and all non-screen activities are linked to more happiness. Now, this is what's really interesting to me. Happiness was linked to participating in sports or exercise, uh, participating in religion, participating in, in in-person uh, you know, interactions, uh, print media, working, doing homework, those were all linked to happiness. And what was linked to unhappiness? Video chat, TV, texting, computer games, social networking, and the internet. All linked to unhappiness or even depression. So there you have it. The research is very strong on this. And just to finish this off, I just have to point out that recent studies have shown that a sharp rise in narcissistic behavior among adolescents, especially of those who spend significant time on social media, has risen in the United States. Actual diagnoses of NPD, narcissistic personality disorder, has risen sharply over the past 10 years. And this rate is comparable to the rate of obesity Oh wow! in our youth. The key trait that separates narcissists from non-narcissists is empathy. Like our children aren't able to empathize with other people or even have feeling for others. And that's the key that we have got to instill the virtue of empathy in our children. Empathy and compassion. I think Mm -hmm. that's wonderful. And so what do we do? We go to the gospel. The gospel has the answers, right? And so here's the Savior that whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Almost quoting the verse that President Hinckley was using, and then President Monson of that scripture said, I believe the Savior is telling us that unless we lose ourselves in service to others, there is little purpose to our own lives. And those who live only for themselves eventually shrivel up and figuratively lose their lives, while those who lose themselves in the service of others grow and flourish and in effect save their lives. By the way, that was from President Monson's inaugural talk as the prophet. Uh, given in October of 2009. 
But of course those principles are true. They're the principles that the Savior's taught repetitively, and now modern prophets and apostles have taught the very same things. We always want to try to couch everything we can in this podcast into the scriptures, into the words of our prophets and our leaders, because the gospel, once again, helps us understand how we can best help and assist our children. Yeah, Carol B. Thomas in Leahona in 2001 said, We must avoid saturating our children with material things. We may deprive a child of enjoyment when we give him too much. If we never allow him to want something, he will never enjoy the pleasure of receiving it. Mm. Are we encouraging our children to sacrifice by giving their time and resources, such as helping a lonely neighbor or befriending someone who needs it? As they concentrate on the needs of others, their own needs become less important. True joy comes from sacrificing for others. And sacrificing is a principle of the gospel. It's a covenant we make in the temple. Sacrificing is becoming one of those virtues that is kind of going out the window these days. <laughs> it's becoming a lost art as we try to as we value convenience and fun and pleasure and so things. much more. Yeah. This reminds me, Janie, of something. I don't know if you're going to remember this story, but it just popped into my head, and it's a true confession. But I remember we moved into our first house in Mesa, Arizona. You had taken our two young children to Houston for a couple of weeks to see your family, and I used that time to hire someone out to paint the outside of the house, to landscape the yard. It was our first house, and we want, I wanted it to be awesome. And when you came home, there was a brand-new trampoline in the backyard, and our oldest kid was two. <laughs> and you were not happy. Do you remember that? Yeah. I, I <laughs> and I was, I was so excited. I was like, oh, my gosh, they're going to think this is the greatest thing in the world. And I think you almost said something like, so did you get that trampoline for you or for, for the <laughs> for kid? For our two-year-old. <laughs> yeah. And I remember thinking about that, and I said, why, why are you so upset about this? And I, and I know that in your family, where there was a lot of sacrifice and scrimping and, and waiting for things, and then finally, I think when you were a teenager, your family got a trampoline. And I just remember, I'll never forget what you said to me, but you said, what are they going to look forward to? I mean, if you're two years old and have a trampoline in your backyard, <laughs> and I know we don't think that way anymore, but I just thought, wow, I never really thought about that. But I guess if they have a trampoline at age two, yeah, what's the... What's the next thing? But that was a great lesson that you taught me is maybe you wait for a little while. Maybe we do deny them of some things because, wow, we can inundate them with too many things. Yeah. Have you seen some of our children or even our grandchildren at Christmas? There's so many gifts that they, they get sick of opening gifts. They're like overwhelmed. And right. that's that's not a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're actually tired of opening yeah. presents. You're, always, you're, you're having to wake them up to open the next present, right? So this is a quote that I read in a book that I have never, ever forgotten. It comes from Stephen R. Covey's book, First Things First, but he's quoting Brian S. Hinckley. So that's so fitting because today we're talking about President Hinckley and that letter he wrote to his father, who was Brian S. Hinckley. Listen to what President Hinckley's father taught him, that service is the virtue that distinguished the great of all times and which they will be remembered by. It places a mark of nobility upon its disciples. It is the dividing line which separates the two great groups in the world, those who help and those who hinder, those who lift and those who lean, those who contribute, and those who only consume. Mm, How much cool. better it is to give than receive. Service in any form is comely and beautiful. To give encouragement, to impart sympathy, to show interest, to banish fear, to build self-confidence and awaken hope in the hearts of others. In short, to love them and show it is to render 
the most precious service. I just think that's such a great statement. I love that. It's all amazing, but I love the part that says to build self-confidence. Our children don't build self-confidence by getting shallow praise or by sitting in their room playing games all day. Or by being given material possessions, right? They build self-confidence by doing, by being good, by building skills and by serving other people. That's where you find true joy. Janie, that's perfect because I think that's right where we want to go here for a minute. We've heard for years and we all know it. If you've grown up in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we've been taught our whole lives how important it is to serve and help other people. But research helps us understand why that's so crucial for youth, children. They call it the helper's high, this euphoric feeling you get when you go and help other people. One researcher in his studies, named Alan Lukes, demonstrated that 50% of helpers reported feeling high when they helped other people, while 43% felt stronger and more energetic. An astonishing 13% experienced fewer aches and pains in their body by helping other people. Now, some researchers at the University of British Columbia found that just one hour of volunteering per week improved the health of adolescents. These teenagers spent one hour per week helping elementary school children, and after 10 weeks of such service, they had first lower levels of inflammation, second lower levels of cholesterol, and third, a lower body mass index when compared to students who did not help in the program. The volunteers who reported the greatest increase in empathy, altruistic behavior, and mental health were the ones who also saw the greatest improvements in their cardiovascular health. So. We're showing here that actually helping people helps us to be healthier, helps us to be happier. All the things that the gospel would would teach these researchers are discovering. So one of the greatest secrets in our society today is that we don't build self-worth in our children by giving them material things or having them focus on themselves. Self-worth for all of us increases as we turn outward and put others before ourselves. In fact, academic studies have shown that teenagers who engage in large and small acts of kindness have increased measures of self-worth when compared to peers who do little for other people. In fact, when adolescents give to strangers, they report uh, higher self-esteem than they did a a year prior to their service of helping. By the way, this was a study published in the Adolescence Journal just a few years ago. More on those studies. Volunteering increases adolescent confidence and helps them to develop pro-social attitudes. Volunteering can connect young people with caring adults who may provide support to them during difficult times. Volunteering in extracurricular school clubs has been associated with higher GPAs, and those in high school who volunteer are more likely to attend college and perform higher academically. Now the research, there's just so much of it, and a lot of it shows us that those youth who engage in service to others have higher self-worth, they have a higher level of, of overall confidence, These youth are more grateful, they're more hopeful, they're more optimistic. You know, another study showed that uh, those who are helpful towards others, and those who serve others as adolescents, have lower levels of aggression, lower levels of delinquency. They are more likely to become connected with friends who have positive values and behaviors, which protects them from problem behaviors. So, I don't know if we need to say any more. I mean, this is, this is wonderful, incredible research helping us understand why we want our youth serving and helping. And I love how all this 
um, research and all this ties into the second great commandment, right? Right. <laughs> Teaching the gospel here. Yeah. That all that totally aligns and goes together that we do need to look outside ourselves and love others as we would love ourselves. Yeah. So. So let's talk about a few suggestions we have on teaching our children and getting them engaged and excited about service and volunteering and getting outside themselves. The best thing that we can do is to get our kids, put their phones down and get out (laughs) and do and work. Right. And so we kind of identified the first one as children have to see their parents serving and volunteering. And I honestly don't think that we need to be out, you know, taking on some grand cause. They can see us serving them in our home. They can see us serving in our callings and giving everything our all. They can see us ministering to our friends, to our neighbors, to those in need, being quick to, you know, be empathetic to those around us and taking meals or writing cards or thank you notes. All those things I think are so important for our children to see. It reminds me of, you know, a lot of times when someone moves into our neighborhood, we as church members are pretty good about, you know, sending someone over to help them unload their moving truck. But I've been impressed over the years as I've brought one of my children to actually see someone who's brought their whole family. Uh, we've seen that as we've watched our own children move into different places. I think I, we were in Idaho a few years ago as one of our children were moving in and there was a whole family there and they were just all helping and working together and I think that's that's huge. Such a great example. Yeah. yeah. Number two, or another one, is that yes, to work alongside of our children, to serve alongside of their children. That makes a huge difference. Maybe as a family, we can identify some projects or causes going on in our neighborhoods or communities. I know our stake every year does a a stake service day where we have different projects going on throughout the day. We need to make sure that we are there with our families. When it's our turn to clean the church, let's show up with our whole family. You know, I think there's just really think cool things that we can identify. And and I think these days we have to be on the lookout. I don't think service just shows up. I think we always have to be anxiously looking for that and ways to include our children. I remember still as a father, you know, walking down El Dorado Parkway in McKinney, Texas, and, and saying, you know, I think a great activity for our family tonight. We can come out here and clean out this part of the sidewalk in our community. Clean all the garbage. Of that's all that's the garbage so out. close to our house. Or even taking our children up to a church on an evening. I remember doing that before and helping them to clean. Okay, number three, plan family activities where you actually spend time serving others. And that kind of goes with that one. But let's be active participants. Like, let's put that on our radar. Where kids, what can we do to serve? Who in our ward, who in our street needs it? Are there any widows? Are there any people like that? And let's go do something and make that a priority in our families. I mean, even just identifying as we kneel down at night to pray. Okay, who, who do we need to pray for? Who needs our help? And then let's find something to do, like you said. Even another one, family vacations and other family big activities where there is some service. I mean, we we know that there are people that live close to us that will go down and help build orphanages. Or I mean, these are big grand things. I I understand that. But there's little things that we can do. I know that every time we would, would plan a youth activity for our youth in our ward, we would always try to include some kind of service to someone. Love that. Yeah. Another thing we can do is pray as a family. I think you mentioned this for service opportunities and let's be watchful and vigilant to provide service to others. So when we hear of somebody that got hurt or is ill or um, is having a rough time, let's point it out to our children and make cute notes or cards or take a treat 
or go sing at the door. There's so many opportunities around us. There is, we are not lacking for opportunities to serve. Every single person around us probably could receive some kind of joy or service. And so I really don't think it's hard. We don't have to look too far. Yeah, Elder Holland once in a conference talk said, and where are these people who need to be rescued? He said, they're everywhere. They're all around us. And then I think the most important thing is anytime that we serve in our callings or if we can is to take our children with us. Like you mentioned earlier, Mark, if you're helping someone move, take your kids along. They can get out of bed on a Saturday morning (laughs) and go, you know, go help. If you're making dinner, take them with you to help carry things in so they can see and experience the joy of service. I think that's how we pass on that legacy of service to the next generation. They have to see us doing it. I think that's exactly right. Sister Linda K. Burton told the story of a Stake Relief Society president who, working with others, collected tons of quilts for people in need during the 1990s. She and her daughter drove a truck filled with these quilts from London to Kosovo, which was a big deal. That yeah. was, they, you know, they had put our heart and soul and probably had spent tons of hours and probably time some doing risk this. there too, you know. Yeah. And on her journey home, she received an unmistakable spiritual impression that sank deep into her heart. And I thought this was really interesting. Mm. The impression was this. What have you done? What you have done is a very good thing. But now go home, walk across the street and serve your neighbor. Oh, wow. What good does it do to save the world if we neglect the needs of those closest to us and those whom we love the most? How much value is there in fixing the world if the people around us are falling apart and we don't even notice? Isn't that great? I love, I love that. that. Yeah. And Sister Bonnie Oloskerson said, Heavenly Father may have placed those who need us closest to us, knowing that we are best suited to meet their needs. And so I love that. I don't think the Lord's asking us to go out and take on huge causes and save the world and do all these crazy things. There's so many people right under our noses, right around us on our in our homes, on our streets, in our wards and communities that need our help and love and attention. Yeah. And, and there are there there is a need, obviously, for people to do some of the big stuff. But for most of us, it's going to be close by. You know, President Hinckley said this, that do you want to be happy? It was a question. Forget yourself and get lost in this great cause. Lend your efforts to helping people. Work to lift and serve his sons and daughters. You will come to know a happiness that you have never known before. And that's the purpose of what we're talking about today. We want our youth to be happy. We want them to feel good about themselves and their lives. We want them to have confidence and We want to build strength in them. And we're trying to emphasize today that one of the best ways we can do that is to help them get outside of themselves and do things for other people. You know, this reminds me of an experience that a good friend of ours shared with us years ago. It was Randall Wright, who's written quite a few books on this topic. I call the title of this story Independence Day. But here's what Randall shared. He said it was the 4th of July. I was looking forward to a restful day off. My wife had gotten up very early to go walking with a friend, and when she got home, I was still in bed. She described the debris throughout the neighborhood caused by high winds and a storm from the night before, and my wife suggested that we go help the elderly widow who lived down the street. And at first I thought, let her kids clean her yard. She has plenty who live in the area. Then the thought of her falling over in her walker trying to pick up branches got to me. And I arose begrudgingly. I was not happy to have my day off interrupted. Do you think I was going to let our five children sleep while we went down and worked in the neighbor's yard? Everyone get up, I ordered. We are going to help our neighbor clean her yard. You would have thought they'd been asked to get a couple of teeth pulled. 
After much coaxing, everyone finally got up and put on their work clothes. And as we walked down the road, I looked at my wife's bright, smiling face. Then there was the rest of us. And as we walked, I thought of Nephi with Laman and Lemuel and the sons of Ishmael following along. As we arrived with rakes and wheelbarrow, we found our neighbor attempting to clean the rubble. She was very old and had to use a walker to keep her balance. As we worked in her yard, she commented to me and my 11-year-old daughter Naomi that she was just a poor widow lady and didn't have any money to pay us. Naomi said, you don't need to pay us. We want to do this. And I thought, you little hypocrite, you were just griping as loudly as I was a little while ago and now you're trying to be the hero. As we raked up and picked up the trash, a warm feeling began to grow inside of us that's hard to describe and I felt a spiritual lift just picking up branches and raking leaves. Walking home several hours later, Naomi said, Dad, let's do that again. I had so much fun. And I think what she really was saying was, Dad, I had a good spiritual feeling, and I want to do it again. I love when I serve others. And then then Brother Wright said, I felt a special closeness to my children that day. Well, I think that's a great, great story to help us understand why it's so important that our children love and serve other people and that great feeling that comes from it. So, LDS, let's do something. And moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas out there, let's do something here. Let's find ways to engage our children in some kind of meaningful service to other people. Let's include them with us. And so we invite you to plan some kind of activity. That's that's probably a long-term type of thing that you could do. But also just on a general level of consistent opportunities we're looking for to serve and help other people. And when we serve and help others, let's take our children with us. Let's involve them in that service. And then let's always find ways to connect with our children and ask them questions like, hey, so how'd you feel about that? What'd you think about that when we did that? And let's talk about those opportunities. Well, thank you once again for being with us today. We really enjoyed this topic and we hope it will be meaningful to you. Please feel free to share this with anyone that could benefit by it. And until next time, we hope you have a great and wonderful week.